0: You can explore an exclusive collection of case law at Decisus Law Reports. Browse a comprehensive collection of nearly 14,000 reports of Irish legal judgments delivered since 2011. Visit Decisis.ie to find out more. Hello, and you're very welcome to episode 18 of the Fifth Court, a podcast on legal affairs presented by myself, Peter Leonard, Barrister. And myself, Mark Tottenham, Barrister, and editor of decisis.ie. Uh, and Mark, good to see you as always. And I better at this point give a mention to our sponsor, which we are very grateful for. This is, of course, Practice Evolve Software, combining document management and accounting software, offering law firms a holistic practice management solution. Built with lawyers in mind. Well, last week, you will recall, we had a fascinating interview with barrister Stephen Hannafee, talked to us about changes in the copyright copyright law uh, and, you know, based on the famous case involving Ed Sheeran. Very interesting. Absolutely.
1: And of course, goes back to the famous George Harrison, My Sweet Lord case and all of the, the issues of songs that sound very alike.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it's, but we all thought, is there anything new under the sun? But apparently it has to be new, doesn't it? It has to be original. It, does, yeah. it has to be original. Okay. Well, on today's show, uh, and I think this is our first show where we have a solicitor and barrister combo in studio. This is the first exactly, time we've yeah. done this, which is really cool. Uh, we have Solicitor Aileen Curry and Barrister Kira Dowd, and they've come in to discuss uh, the new assisted de- decision-making legislation, which was passed in 2015. This is to do with wards of court and enduring powers of attorney. Uh, the state has been a bit slow to implement it, but I think there's been reasons for that. We're going to discuss all that. Really looking forward to it. But first, we're going to discuss three cases, which you have identified from the Decisis website. We're going to start with a family law case. This is a decision of Ms. Justice Moira Whelan in the Court of Appeal and this concerned proceedings which took place in both Ireland and Pakistan uh, and there was also child abduction proceedings so very serious matters. Uh, The Court of Appeal held that it could not intervene in circumstances where a circuit court decision had already been appealed to the High Court. That had been boxed off so to speak. Exactly, yeah. So this is a case where as you said there had been legislation
1: both sorry litigation in both Ireland and Pakistan um, concerning this this uh, marriage um, and the the divorce proceedings were brought in the Circuit Court of Ireland um, where the husband tried to challenge the jurisdiction of the Irish courts and the the circuit court confirmed that they were able to hear, hear them the same this was then appealed to the High Court and the High Court again uh, accepted that it had jurisdiction um but then there were further proceedings which involved um uh, child abduction and and guardianship of infants where the husband again sought to challenge the jurisdiction of the irish courts to have granted the divorce um and this went to the court of appeal and because a when a case starts in the circuit court and appeals to the high court, there is no further appeal, okay. except in very that's the end of the process, a, yeah. the end, except in very exceptional circumstances. And so, what the the court here said and was Justice Whelan said that the court of appeal simply couldn't interfere
0: with that decision. That that was uh, that was decided. Okay, so a very clear ruling in that case. Okay, yeah. next to a curious landlord and tenant case. Where the tenants were deemed to be persons unknown. Yeah. Now, who are they? Uh, This is a decision of Ms. Justice Eileen Roberts in the High Court. It's a a case called Phoenix Construction Consulting versus Persons Unknown in occupation of 11A North Frederick Street. So it's very specific uh, in in relation to the location, but not the people involved. Uh, It concerned a building with four apartments which had been sold by a receiver to the plaintiff herein. So they were the legitimate owner of uh, the, the property. I think they were seeking vacant possession, but there were still some exactly. people in there. They were trespassing. They needed to get mm-hmm. them out, but they didn't know who they were. They were persons exactly. unknown.
1: So the person who had origin, who had owned
0: the property um,
1: had bought it with subject to a mortgage. And as commonly happens, when he fell into arrears, then the, the, the a receiver was appointed and ultimately it was sold to the plaintiff in this case. But what had happened was that the, uh, the original owner had then let out four apartments to essentially asylum seekers. And from the judgment, it appears that these were people who didn't have English as their first language, uh, wouldn't have been familiar with the Irish legal system. Um, And so in order to get vacant possession, the the plaintiff uh, had to issue proceedings against people whose names he didn't know as well as against the f- former owner. Now, there had been some attempt by somebody to to uh, effectively represent them, certainly by way of email, but it was an anonymous email claiming to represent some of the people in these apartments. And what happened was, so the former owner tried to, to have the proceedings struck out as an abusive process and the court wasn't accepting that. They said that it was a perfectly legitimate claim to make. They then, um, an injunction was granted to the owners of the building uh, against the persons unknown, requiring them to, 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 or restraining them from trespass. However, they also extended time for these people to enter an appearance, notwithstanding that there had been somebody who okay. had already got in touch with them via, via this email, saying they wanted to defend the proceedings but no appearance had been put in, so uh, effectively she was saying, "Well, if somebody does want to put in an appearance, so she do, left it slightly open-ended. She did. She left the, the the litigation open-ended, but the the injunction is in place. So clearly, the, the and how do you give effect to that?
0: I mean, is it well, just you clear the building? I suppose uh, well,
1: it, well, that? well, you 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 by by application for contempt of court. I mean, basically, yes. you then need to go down the line that in the the, the Enoch Burke case, where, yes. where, where where you
0: seek to uh, they're to, in breach to, of court order. Absolutely, exactly, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Really good, Mark. Really good. Uh, Finally, a very interesting case in the world of communications regulation, uh, our Comreg for short. Uh, This is the case of Three Ireland Hutchinson Limited against the Commission for Communications Regulation. This is a decision of Mr Justice Morris Collins of the Court of Appeal before he moved up to the Supreme Court. Uh, And this case concerns access to the mobile phone network Uh, The Spectrum, I think they call it. And a regulation that prevents any mobile phone company from owning more than 30% of the network. Now, it appears 3Mobile were challenging that ownership cap. They felt maybe they wanted a little bit more than yeah. that, I think. Uh, but there was an auction for uh, you know, for positioning on the mobile phone spectrum, and they were saying that has to be paused until they get a decision whether they're entitled to, to more, yeah. uh, greater allocation, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to stop here let you talk about well, it. Well,
1: it, it's a very complicated case, and uh, I, I won't pretend that I understand all of the issues involved here. I doubt if anybody does, to be honest. Um, the But uh, basically, when... It Comes to awarding mobile phone licenses, um, there's a very technical and very complicated auction procedure that is that is undergone. I think this is sort of the game theory that's originated in Chicago, where they try and get the best price for the state. Um, So Comreg is in charge of this, but as part of this particular auction process, they introduced what they called a spectrum cap. So effectively, it means that no one company can own more than a certain proportion of the spectrum which uh, i think was 30% as you said now three ireland apparently now is the largest owner of spectrum in the co- country the largest mobile phone operator and so they were concerned that that, that they shouldn't be limited by this so called spectrum cap and they challenged that in the high court and Mr. Justice Moore heard that case and had reserved judgment until the end of January. What they were then concerned about was that Comreg were continuing with the auction process, notwithstanding that this um, that the, 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 this judgment was expected, and they wanted to put a stay, which is effectively an injunction on the auction process. Um, and that that stay was granted by the High Court. And so they appealed it to the Court of Appeal. and Mr. Justice Collins, set aside the stay, um, and said that the auction auction process could proceed, proceed, but that it couldn't be completed. It could go as far as making the decision, but the decision couldn't be communicated until after Mr Justice O'More had made his decision
0: in relation to the spectrum cap. Wow, that sounds like a, an Irish solution to an Irish problem.
1: I think it does, but there, 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 <laughs> there, 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 there was a reasoning behind it because yes, effectively okay. once the once, once the auction had been completed, then it would have affected the the what effect of the, the Brian O'More decision. The but if, if, if let's
0: say, in the Mr Justice Amor's decision in relation to the allocation of Spectrum, and mm. he says, no, you can't be limited to 30%, does that not have an implication for this other... Because it's already been the auction has already been determined. Then,
1: well, if the auction has been um, <laughs> sorry, I'll have to work. Does yeah, but, but, yeah. but that, that was the issue before. Mr. Justice okay. Collins, he yeah, had to oh. to determine that. All right. Yeah, okay. Not,
0: well, thank thanks, Mark. Now that's great. So we'll be back shortly with Aileen Curry and Kira Dowd.
2: Discover Practice Evolve, your leading global technology provider of legal practice management, including case management, document management and legal accounting solutions. We are dedicated to constantly evolving our software and all our solutions are offered in the cloud. We connect software to improve productivity. While our focus on software competency ensures users are empowered to discover innovative ways of working. We call it software with a service. With Practice Evolve, law firms are more efficient, more profitable and knowledgeable. Discover more today at www.practiceevolve.com. Silence in the fifth court. So we're
1: delighted to be joined in the studio now by Kira Dowd and Aileen Curry to speak about the new Assisted Decision Making Capacity Act 2015, which although it was enacted uh, over seven years ago, is due to be commenced fairly shortly and effectively is going to replace the current provision in relation to both wards of court and enduring powers of attorney and various other issues. So I'm delighted to be joined by both of you here.
3: Thanks very much. Delighted to be here.
1: Thank so, you for having us. So, um, <clears throat> Aileen, I know in the past you've worked for the General Solicitor's Office for Minors and Wards of Court, which, um, as you've explained to me before we came in studio, is the um, is is what you described as the Committee of Last Resort. So if nobody has a family member or whatever to, to represent them when they're a ward of court, that would, be, would have been your job, isn't that correct?
4: That's exactly yeah. it. Um, so the General Solicitor would have been appointed if either there was no other suitable committee or if there was, you know, a conflict or some issue within the family, sure. um, the court w- would appoint the general solicitor. I see. And now committee. you're in private practice. Yes. I uh, I took the big jump into the unknown and um, set up a practice um, with my business partner, David Hickey, mm-hmm. uh, Korean Hickey Solicitors. I see.
1: And Kira, you have written extensively about the new act, isn't that right?
3: Yeah, um, yeah. I've got a few articles coming down the line um, and I've been kind of doing a lot of CPDs and lectures about it. Just, um, yeah, trying to um, get prepared for it. Because
1: you know. this is an area, obviously, that affects almost any solicitor who's dealing with property uh, and, and a range of other issues as well. And particularly, I think it's fair to say, um, where people have um, early onset dementia or, or have a, already lost capacity, um, issues in relation to transfers of property and what happens to their property once they have lost capacity. Isn't that right?
4: Certainly, it, it covers a, a very wide range of, of areas and issues, and I think it's fair to say that um, it's legislation that could very well affect all of us at some point in our lives. Yeah. You know, so it's not like a specific yeah. area. It, it could, you know, mm-hmm. cover anything. And and in practice,
1: I mean, when you're dealing with, I mean, with either enduring powers of attorney or uh, or, or wards of court, court issues, are you dealing mainly with people suffering dementia, or are other? mental issues uh, relevant?
4: I mean, I
1: suppose issues like schizophrenia or whatever must occasionally come across your desk. Certainly,
4: I mean I think um, dementia, Alzheimer's is probably the the majority of our cases but, you know um, in our practice we would deal with quite a lot of eating disorders right. um, persons who are um, detained in, in various types of, of institutions, so there, there's a huge range of um, of issues, it acquired brain injury as well.
1: And, and this brings in issues such as um, uh, medical treatment involuntary med- medical treatment where, where somebody effectively has to be uh, uh, blood transfusion or something along those lines where they're not mm. in a position to consent. Cer- certainly, yeah. Absolutely. So um, Kira, could you just outline to us what are the key decisions that are made in the new legislation in relation to, first of all, wards of court, and secondly, enduring powers of attorney?
3: Well, this legislation will abolish wardship as the decision-making regime for adults lacking capacity. And I think the problems with wardship are well-documented and well-rehearsed that, you know, people could completely lose uh, legal capacity if they're deemed to be of unsound mind and incapable of managing affairs. And obviously that's, you know, very vague language. It's um, offensive um, and... I think that it's um, just it's inappropriate now in in 2022, um, and it'll.
1: And, and so, sorry, can you just tease that out a little bit? When you say it's inappropriate, I mean there are clearly people who 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 have lost capacity and aren't able to manage their own affairs. I mean, it, it, is it's not? It, is it more than just the language being uh, being offensive? I mean, is, there, it, is it, it, Are there people who could manage their own affairs who have who who are effectively being prevented from doing so?
3: I think there are very few people that are wholly incapable of managing all their affairs. Um, And what this new legislation will do, it will bring in... Decision-making supports that are issue-specific. So, rather than saying, you know, that you're incapable of managing one set of affairs, therefore you're entirely losing legal capacity, as is the case with wardship, it'll say, okay, if you're unman, if you're incapable, um, or if you lack the decision-making capacity in relation to financial decisions or healthcare decisions, it will give you a decision support just in relation to that. So, I think it's you know the unsound mind language, but also just the the notion of being incapable of managing your affairs generally.
0: I see. Can, can I just come in there for a second? Uh, this is the 2015 Act, and it's it's only just coming into play at the moment, Kira. Like, what, what has been happening over the last seven years? Why has it taken so long for this to kind of be enacted and come onto the statute books?
3: Um, well, there's been amending legislation that they had to um, bring about just to fix various problems that were in the 2015 Act, and... Um, And so that's been in the works, I think, for a couple of years now. I think that there is um, delays due to COVID, but it's on track now and hopefully it'll be uh, commenced, you know, the first half of this year.
0: Yes. Okay. And Aileen, as a practitioner in this area, I mean, is this going to be a game changer? Are there provisions within this piece of legislation that are going to make things easier from, from your point of view and assist people, you know, with, with mental issues? Is, is, it, is it is it is it going to be progressively beneficial?
4: I think it is insofar as there's a whole mindset change. So from a solicitor's perspective, um, we have to look at our clients in a much more holistic and a much broader sense. So gone is the day that somebody comes into our practice and they're, you know, Is a question mark or a doubt about the capacity, and we might think, Oh, well, you know, we can't do this because the person doesn't have capacity. There's a statutory duty now on us as practitioners to do whatever we possibly can to try and assist our client to make the decisions that they need to make. So we have to sit down. Um, The guiding principles of the 2015 Act are hugely important. Um, I would say that if I was to give one piece of advice to to a a, a solicitor in this area is to print off the guiding principles to learn them and to have a copy there on your desk. Because when you see your client, you need to do whatever you can do to facilitate, to assist, um, not to influence, but to try and find out what is the crux of the problem? What does the person want to achieve? And how can we go about achieving that? Um, And if that's, you know, if that is to involve bringing somebody else into the meeting um, and, you know, whatever it takes to try and help the person to come to the decision they meet. So we we need to go that extra mile.
1: And in practical terms, is that going to be difficult? I mean, does that involve bringing in medical practitioners, family members and that sort of thing? I mean, it sounds like, you you, you know, whereas in the old under the existing yeah. regime, you would effectively be saying, "Right, I, I think there's an issue in relation to capacity. The next stage is words of court, or the next stage is to try and draw up an EPA to to have somebody else appointed,
4: yeah, or it um, may be too late, re- uh, you know, at that stage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, w- it, like there is a duty on us to try and bring about what it is that the person wants, regardless of mm-hmm. um, the fact that there may be an issue." around capacity so we, we must try and we've now got there's five different um options within the legislation open to us um, and and I will,
0: will you talk us through those Aileen? certainly Please. so
4: as I was saying to, to Kira before and um, before we came on that the problems haven't changed so True. I think we need to remember that that this is new legislation and it's wonderful and you know we're looking forward to it commencing but the people are still the people that that come into us. The problems are still the problems. Um, We just have new tools to assist us um, in advising our clients. Um, So I think it's important to remember that the enduring power of attorney legislation that we've had for for such a long time now, that remains, it it changes. There are certain, you know, there are different responsibilities um, upon us that we need to register the enduring powers of attorney up front as opposed to, Waiting until um, the person loses capacity, um, but enduring powers of attorney they, they, they will remain in the new legislation, and we'll also have advanced healthcare directives whereby a person can actually sit down with their solicitor and you know go through uh, the various concerns that they may have for the future with regard to their health and and how they'd like to be treated. Um, in terms of decision making, there's mainly three. Uh, tiers um, is how it's described the first tier is making a decision so it's an it, it's sitting down and um, writing out a, an assisted uh, decision making agreement whereby you, you literally are saying to your trusted person um, I, I I would like to make the decisions myself um, but I'd like you to help me to support me in, in making those decisions so it remains the individual or the relevant person as as, as the person is described in the legislation, it remains the relevant person's decision uh, at all times. It's just merely a support. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first tier. And that's the one that I think you really need to try to see if if you can make that work because we're obliged to always try and seek the least restrictive uh, tier open to us um, for for our clients. So so that's where, where we start with.
0: It's it's a very challenging area for solicitors, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's a fine line sometimes where you're trying to give effect to what the person wants but maybe you're conscious of the fact that the person is moving into an area where they don't know what they want and therefore there has to be some sort of intervention and there has to be a trusted person. Like, how do you make that judgment? I I think that's really, I mean, I I did one enduring power of attorney case. It lasted three days in the high court. Fascinating case. I learned so much from it. But it was to do with whether a will was justifiable, etc. And whether the person had the capacity to make a decision. And there was was legal experts on both sides and we got into a lot of cross-examination of legal experts. But I felt for the solicitors, the solicitor has to is the starting point, has to sit down with the client and, you know, push it as much as they can to give effect to what the client wants, but all the time be slightly conscious of the fact that maybe the client isn't able to make decisions for themselves.
4: Absolutely. There's no doubt that there, there will be a real challenge for solicitors, but you have to take every person, you know, with As they are, every person is different. Um, You have to spend the time at the very early stages in getting to know the person, uh, knowing a little about them, about their background. It's very much a judgment call at the time, but it's issue specific. Um, You know, so you might very well be in a a position that you might be able to help with regard to one individual specific area, but maybe not with something else.
1: Can I bring Kira in again? I mean, the, the legislation that's brought in is obviously changing quite a lot in relation to solicitor's practice. Has it been modelled on legislation in other countries? I mean, is it is it based on, on international good practice? Or what, what is the sort of, the the, the the where does the theory behind this legislation come from?
3: It started with the Law Reform Commission report. Um, I can't remember when that was published, but that... Um, kind of looked at a lot of jurisdictions um including uh, England and Wales and the Mental Capacity Act there and the um the Office of Public Guardians there. And um, that led to the Assisted Decision Making Capacity um Bill 2013 and then the law has changed since then. Um and it was it was amended um quite a lot in uh in the Octus and now it's been amended again by the twenty twenty two bill. But I think it's um incorporated um a lot of learnings from from the UK and I think the jurisprudence from the UK, from England and Wales will be really useful for practitioners okay. as we apply it here because there are a lot sure. of useful similarities.
1: And in terms of what happens to what, what is currently the wards of court office, at the moment I think we have what's called the parents' patriae jurisdiction where the, the president of the High Court is effectively in loco parentis for anybody who, who lacks capacity. Um, uh, wh- wh- how is that going to change? Does the president of the High Court lose that role?
3: and no that that will remain and there's actually um the 2022 act introduced an interesting amendment to the 2015 act to clarify that the inherent jurisdiction of the high court in relation to persons lacking capacity will remain in relation to the treatment and care and detention orders so it's really interesting and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how that inter- that inherent jurisdiction interacts with the 2015 act and that statutory framework but um, the High Court will also remain, uh, retain jurisdiction um, in, in other areas of the Act, including organ donation, uh, withdrawal of life, uh, sustaining treatment and appeals. And of course, the the Wards of Court uh, Office and the, the Wardship Court, which is the High Court, they'll be in charge of the review of wards, which will be taking place um, within three years of the legislation commencing, whereby all the wards of court are reviewed Um reviewed to, to see if they're discharged from wardship um, and into a support framework under the 2015 Act or if they're just uh, discharged generally from wardship. So.
0: Can, I, can I just come in there? I'm, I'm curious about that. Discharged from wardship, that's a big statement. Does that happen very often?
3: Um, I might leave that to, to
4: Aileen. Yeah,
0: Aileen, what do you think?
4: Um, in... The 14 years that I was working in in my previous position, I think I came across maybe about four uh, four times, so very, very uh, rare. Um, and it should
0: be very rare, really, shouldn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because I mean, the High Court has taken control, effectively, and will only take control if necessary. So, oh, therefore, nobody, that situation is uh, unlikely to be reversed. Yeah, nobody so should ever be in So, four worship. still is, is yeah. a, it's a curious yeah. number.
4: Um, I mean... Nobody should ever be in worship unless they need to be there.
0: Can you recall any yeah. of those cases? I'm I can. Curious I can, rec- yeah, I can
4: recall. I can recall. Um, I can recall them all. Um, one of the most significant cases was of a lady with an acquired brain injury. Uh, most beautiful uh, young woman um, from a came from a very very challenging and very difficult um, background. Um, She had a large amount of money invested in the wards of court office. Um, She was a feisty young woman and she was just incredible. She was able to speak up for herself and she had very strong opinions on everything. Uh, And when she came to me and said, that's it, I want to get married. I want to buy a house and I want to have a baby. I said, right. So we went and she got uh, uh, reviewed and right enough, the medical visitor came back and said, yes, um, you, you no longer meet the criteria for wardship. Um, and it was such a great day. She, she in the intervening period, um, she arranged to have a trust set up so she knew herself that she needed help. But I mean, who wouldn't need help with a couple sure. of million euros? You know, um, I, I know I would. Um, She had a trust set up. By the time we went to court, she came into court with her trustees. Everything was set up. It it, It was a great example of how this could work not yes. just then, but for the future. Um, Very and the encouraging, sa- actually. It was yes, super. Yeah. And the same lady, in fact, um, I was at her wedding. So it was, <laughs> wow, yeah, I, do, I was at her wedding. That's, that's it, was, it was. It was absolutely... <laughs> that's an attention
0: uh, to your client yeah, now yeah, that and, goes beyond that. And at that the...
4: stage, the, 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 the Marriage of Lunatics Act wasn't repealed. So it actually was even all the more um, significant... <laughs>
0: Yes, like yeah. even that word, the marriage of lunatics yeah. act. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the, the not old, really angry. acceptable no. in this day and age, Kira, is it?
3: No, no, it's completely um, Victorian uh, language. Mm-hmm. It's completely outdated, offensive, and yeah. um, not appropriate. Um, and so, the use, uh, the language in this act, decision-making capacity. It's, uh, I think, it's more accurate and reflects, you know, the nub of what we're getting at—that you know, people need assistance with.
1: Can, can I ask? Does the does the act do anything to assist people who, should we say, have clearly have decision-making difficulties but are a long way from, lo- from having lost capacity. And I mean, this is something I've come across in practice and I've heard other people discuss, where you have people who clearly make an awful lot of bad decisions where they are under the influence of other people who they are giving money to, that that money is going astray and yet family members feel that they can't step in to do anything about it. Um, you know, th- th- there there seem to be a lot of people like that. And, you know, we come across, you know, obviously people through the criminal courts who, for example, have addiction issues or whatever, who clearly, for want of a better term, have decision-making difficulties. I mean, d- d- does, does the Act extend to people in those sort of circumstances?
3: Well, the Act... Isn't specific about a diagnostic criteria. I'd say it's about people that lack decision making capacity or may shortly lack de- decision making capacity. And it's unlike, you know, the UK jurisdiction. It's not based on any medical diagnosis. So the lack of decision making capacity could be for any reason. But I think important to note here is that uh, the Act puts in place a, that. People have a right to make, or I don't want to say they have a right to make an unwise decision. Um, You Mm. know, nobody has, you know, we have the right to make that, but there's consequences for that. But it says that unwise decisions are not evidence of people lacking capacity, you know, merely for that. So that's very
0: important, isn't it? I mean, you know, you have the freedom to make a mistake, you know, and that's, we all have that. Um, And, you know, so it mightn't be a wise decision, as you say, but that shouldn't inform whether that person can make a decision or not, I think. Absolutely, not by itself anyway. So so it's up to the person effectively to decide for
1: themselves whether they have decision-making difficulty?
3: Not necessarily. I mean, there will be, um, there's going to be general and special visitors under the Act that will make those assessments as well. And then the court will decide um, if somebody lacks capacity um, with a co-decision maker or without a decision maker. Um, so, uh, but the act, I think it's important to note that it's empowering and it's meant to maximize capacity. And so it is about, do people want to come under the framework of the act? Um, do they want the assistance of the act? Do they want the formal arrangements? So it's about their wishes and it really, it emphasizes the will and preferences of the person. And do they want um, this kind of, to come under this arrangement?
0: Okay, can I come in here and just ask more practical questions, Alien? I'm, I'm throwing them at you here. But in terms of the enduring power of attorney, and you talk about the the, the person who assists. What's the phrase? I actually uh, the the attorney, the attorney,
4: the the attorney. Yeah,
0: the the attorney. Like, is there any difficulty in, in that situation? I'm thinking of, let's say, an elderly person who is a parent of maybe a number of children. You know, why pick one? Sometimes families disagree on whether the parent can make a decision or not. I have personal experience of this in terms of court. I have represented people in this area. I mean, you know, how do you work with that as a solicitor? The practical realities of dealing with people who have different views and maybe, and, and both are, well, are all may be well-motivated and their intentions are good and, you know, they wish to do the right thing sure. by the person who can't make up their own mind or isn't capable of, of deciding for themselves. So how do but, you get involved in that? Again, but, it's the practical that's solution.
4: That's been around forever. That's nothing to do with the, the new legislation. Yes, I mean,
0: yeah, So, but that, I suppose yeah, I'm okay. trying to get some tricks.
4: Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, so at the interview stage, so when we're meeting our clients um, and having the conversation around... Creating an enduring power of attorney, Well, I mean, the first question is: Well, why do you want an enduring power of attorney, and why have you selected, you know, whoever it is, Johnny, as your um, as your attorney? Or like, we need to ask our client how they have come to the decision to select, you know. Well, the what the, happens
0: if the if the the client cannot make that decision? The it, the client is now at a stage where the client is not capable of making their own decisions can't inform you of this information. so you have but the that, next of kin coming into the process.
4: I, I think I think we need to take a step back from that because I think if if I'm at a stage where my client is not able to inform me who they want to have as their attorney, well, then I'm really not in a position to enter into an enduring power of attorney. I think okay. we, we you know, I think if it's at that stage whereby we can't get the most basic of information in an EPA has to be and the most important decision is who is that person that you trust so much that you want to make them your attorney under your enduring power of attorney well i think if the person is if they're if they're at a stage where they're they don't have the cognitive ability to decide who that person is well i think i would be looking to the new legislation um to see well you know maybe 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 we're past the enduring power of attorney yes. stage, maybe our um, dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it is, is at a different stage. Now so that's it has moved on yeah. to
0: wardship then?
4: Well, in now, um, in today's, if, if we were dealing with it today, perhaps we're into the wardship because today, obviously, wardship would be the, the next layer we would go to if we can't create an enduring power of attorney. Um, but... I think there's two different questions there. I think if the question is that, you know, if your client is at a stage that their cognitive ability is such that they cannot focus or decide on an attorney, that's one question. But if they come in and they they actually can, but they're just stressed and agitated about which child or who to select, I think that's a different, that's a different question. And I think then you have to dig down, you know, if you feel... The capacity is not an that's issue. Where the, the skill
0: of the lawyer yes. comes into play, well, You I need to
4: dig down as to find yeah, out. No, why. fascinating. Brilliant yes. answer. And yes. Really, do you
0: ever really interesting.
1: To somebody that they actually don't execute an EPA, that they might be better just letting the matter go to the wards of court office rather than select among a number of family members. Well,
4: there's so much I want to say on that <laughs> question. Um, I think what I would do in that situation is um, no more than yourself. Um, we've had several cases of an enduring power of attorney that has failed that has not yep. succeeded and I wouldn't want anyone to go through that it's it's yep. it's a horrible place to be um, whereby you you have created an enduring power of attorney mm. and perhaps at the time you're creating it you, mm. your solicitor doesn't realize that in fact your your two daughters absolutely are skinning each other alive it's mm. not going to change when your capacity goes mm. I promise you it's it's if the problem is there at the creation stage it only gets worse yes um happy and, families you know it really Absolutely. does so you know i think mm. you have to give the example of not to scare your client but if if they really have concerns at the beginning i think it's important to explain that in 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 our practice and in my experience um an enduring power of attorney that um has not that we have not been able to register because of around family yeah. It only um, yeah. it, it ends up in worship anyway.
0: Okay, this has yeah. been this has been illuminating. It's been really really good, folks. Before we let you go, they're waving at us through the window. Unfortunately, we're we're, we're running out of time. So, Kira, I'm going to come to you first. We we suggested maybe you might recommend a book, a legal book that you like, or a movie that you like. Do you want to take that one?
3: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um I think this might be on students' reading lists already, but if not, I think it's a great book, um, and it's Justice by Michael Sandel, and I think I read it soon after I left college, and I only regretted not having read it sooner. It's just a really accessible introduction to uh, jurisprudence and different philosophers, and... I think that all lawyers at the start of their career should be um, reflecting on what justice means to them and what they think fairness is, and it's a good a good habit to get into. So
0: yes, so that one okay, that's that's really interesting. And, and a movie, was there anything that grabbed you?
3: I think Aaron Brockovich. I think oh, wow, it really okay. it shows uh, you know
0: campaigning the, yeah, plaintiff. Yes, absolutely
3: the the power and also the limits of the law. Um, and yeah. you know the the good. be. Yeah, great can choice,
0: eat. actually. Yeah, that hasn't come up before. That's that, that's a really good choice, Aileen. Um,
4: a book. Um, I am Amy Dunn. Um, the the Miss D case. Um, written by Amy Dunn. Um, with uh, the assistance of Orla O'Donnell. Oh, yeah. And the reason that I choose that the,
0: book, the legal correspondent of RTE. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Okay.
4: Um. So this is um. The, sorry, the reason that I choose this book is that. Page 88, page 99, um, Amy says, I felt my voice was getting lost, like I was invisible. So she goes through a couple of paragraphs describing what it was like to be that young, frightened girl uh, surrounded by lawyers in the Mm -hmm. four courts. And I just thought we need, certainly in in the area that I practice in, to remember what it's like to be the person who's the subject of the court and who's... Frightened and vulnerable. Um, and I just thought her words were so powerful. Um, mm. You know. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Okay. And a film? No, no I don't. Okay. i do not a, not that's a television good. person.
1: Okay. okay. So thank you very much to both uh, Kira Dowd and to Aileen Curry for joining us here in the Fifth Court.
2: Practice Evolve, your legal technology provider, here to provide our users software with a service, incorporating cloud solutions, connected integrations, and encouraging user competency.
0: The Fifth Court will adjourn until next week. So that's all from this edition of The Fifth Court. We hope you have enjoyed it. Can we say a huge thank you to our guests, Barrister Kira Dowd and Solicitor Aileen Curry, for coming in and talking to us about the assisted decision-making legislation. Really interesting discussion there, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. And I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our producer, Cunnelo Morine, And to the Dublin South podcast studios and in particular to Peter Rice for recording this show and doing such a wonderful job. Mark, we can't leave without saying thank you to our sponsor.
1: Absolutely. We want to thank Practice Evolved Software, combining document management and accounting software, offering law firms a holistic practice management solution built
0: with lawyers in mind. Very good. Very good. And if you have any comments or any legal stories you'd like us to discuss, please contact us on the website or on LinkedIn. uh, And please share this podcast because we're still building up our audience. So for me, Peter Leonard. And me, Mark Tottenham. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you very soon in the Fifth Court. Never miss a vital Irish legal judgment. Check out Decisis Law Reports, where you'll find a fully indexed collection of all Irish judgments delivered since 2011. Visit decisis.ie to find out more.